0: Every Sunday night for the past eight weeks, thousands of people logged on to HBO Max just to see the platform crash. Well, technically, they were hoping to catch the latest episode of Euphoria, but that was a gamble, wasn't it? The wildly popular Euphoria of 2022 is actually an adaptation based on an original Israeli series of the same name. In 2017, HBO announced they were developing an adaptation with original creator Ron Leshem and director Daphna Levin on board as executive producers alongside Sam Levinson. This adaptation is currently one of the most talked about series on television. It's officially HBO's most watched show behind Game of Thrones between the diehard fans and the hate watch the film buffs, and the casual onlookers with FOMO, everyone has something to say about it. Twitter recently revealed that Euphoria has become the most tweeted about show in this decade. If you spend time on YouTube or TikTok, you know that those apps are bursting at the seams with weekly reactions, reviews, dissections, and conspiracy theories. This series sure does know how to spark a conversation. But is it good though? Euphoria's execution of most themes, characters, and plot points has felt clunky at best and unfulfilling at worst. Sam Levinson's writing feels both very confused and very sure of itself. He relies heavily on stylized visual storytelling, seeming to only halfway pay attention to overarching narratives and dialogue. Season 2 made these flaws even more evident, with abrupt changes in tone, many loose ends left hanging, and characters moving in ways that don't feel authentic to their storyline. He relies heavily on offensive stereotypes, tired tropes, and the white cishet male perspective. As the creator, soul writer, and director of the show, I'm directing a lot of these criticisms where it only seems fair. Sam Levinson nails stories of addiction, though Zendaya's performance as Rue cannot be understated. She approaches her role with the intent to humanize people who struggle with addiction, and it shows. And the cinematography, the visuals, Euphoria's team of cinematographers and editors know how to capture a stunning, nostalgic, surreal shot. And still, those successes alone cannot save the mess he has concocted. So let's talk about why Euphoria needs to get a real writing room together, or they need to go ahead and cancel season three. Sam Levinson has opted for the tried and true method for making a great show. Having one singular person do all the writing and all the directing. Who needs a writer's room? When a showrunner boasts about doing almost all the story building alone without any external input, the product is rarely all the way there. In fact, his struggle to keep up with this unsustainable method is already evident in his lack of preparation on days of shooting. Anonymous sources told the Daily Beast that Sam Levinson frequently showed up to set without a shot list, allegedly leading to 15 and 17 hour days. Not only does the end result feel unstructured and messy, but those decisions can create a stressful, exhausting work environment in small productions the idea of having one person do everything is typically out of necessity due to financial restraints in large-scale expensive productions like euphoria decisions like these tend to be much more ego driven HBO could definitely spare the funds for additional writers and directors, so why aren't they? More staff is beneficial for the entire production, as it's almost impossible for one person to keep up with so many jobs. Behind the scenes, cast members Sydney Sweeney, Zendaya Coleman, and Hunter Schafer have all insisted that the writing process is not as cut and dry as we think. While Sam is the sole writer, they've all vouched for his ability to collaborate, listen the feedback and change things in the script that the actors don't agree with. However, there are reports suggesting that his open-minded behavior is not extended to the entire cast. Both Algie Smith and Barbie Fiera's roles have been severely minimized this season, with McKay being completely written out after the premiere. Fans were upset to see one of the only Black characters who had a prominent role in season one completely written out. To be fair, he shouldn't have been hanging around with so many high schoolers in the first place, okay? He was already in college. But to the audience and Algie Smith himself, we're giving no explanation for why his character was written out of the show. Initially, rumors circulated that his absence was due to his decision not to receive the COVID vaccine. However, Smith has since dispelled those rumors by stating this was not the case, though it seems not much collaboration occurred between him and Sam, with him expressing that he doesn't understand why Sam went in the direction of writing him out completely. When it comes to Kat, a beloved character in the first season, there have been numerous reports suggesting that Barbie Fiera's minimized role was due to concerns with how Sam Levinson was attempting to portray her character. Though I wanna mention that Barbie actually shared similar sentiments as her castmates throughout season one's promotional run.
1: I find it so like interesting and even lucky that you found a character that aligns so closely to you and to your platform. Was that a coincidence? Or- was that something that you helped to kind of like develop her character well i think a lot of the process of us building our characters um thankfully sam levinson who created and wrote the show is so open for conversation like when we all got the role he called us for like hours just asking about our life and like literally someone that we barely met we was like you know all our life trauma and our like life experiences we tell him and he's just such a Empathic man in that way where he listens and he really absorbs it and does it doesn't it doesn't like nothing just like goes over him It's like every little bit of us he observes and he builds a character to us, which was incredible We had like so much say and even down to the way we, we were dressing or or like maybe that line I don't know if that's right or you know like just the conversation was always, always open So I'm so happy that he's just was there and like a mentor and yeah, he's great
0: she sat in on interviews frequently during this time and often sang Levinson's praises. But for season two, that has not been the case at all. Noticeably, Barbie was one of the only castmates to not attend the premiere, and she hasn't sat down for any of the press junket interviews this season. Even in the behind the scenes after shows, she's rarely present. She seems to be avoiding discussing the show, which only adds weight to the rumors. Someone on her PR team may have budged her to make a comment because eventually she did though it was brief and less than favorable. According to anonymous tips made to Des Moines and online forums, she allegedly took issue with Sam writing an eating disorder plotline for her character in season 2. Barbie should absolutely have some say in how her character is being written, especially considering her storyline often touches on her relationship to fatness and her body. Sam Levinson does not have enough experience on his own to really flush out her character the way she deserves, and it's possible Barbie has become frustrated by that. Some reports suggest she left the set multiple times amidst disagreements with Sam. Rather than working with her on a compromise, though, he decided to cut her role out almost altogether. Sam Levinson is trying to girl boss his way into an Emmy by wearing all the hats that he can, but his hubris is clearly showing, resulting in a show about a wannabe diverse friend group portrayed through his very singular perspective or the perspectives that he's feeling most partial to. Euphoria takes place in a predominantly white suburb, so the idea that race never comes up is unimaginable. Not only does the topic never present itself, but there are very few characters of color in the series, let alone black characters. They act as if there are only two black families in the whole town, though that didn't really last long since they wrote off McKay. Sam Levinson acts as if he's directing from a colorblind perspective, though there's no such thing and it's clear he has a certain color in mind. With McKay's character, there was potential to explore his experience navigating black masculinity in a predominantly white town, but instead Sam fumbles that opportunity. McKay even experiences a sexual assault while crossing into a white fraternity. His experience is simply glossed over and never revisited. Why introduce that dynamic and trauma just for his character to not explore how it would impact him? McKay has two younger brothers and they're both portrayed as hypersexual assholes to the other girls at the school. Sam clearly didn't know how to write the McKays without his racial bias and with some added nuance, so he relied completely on tired tropes. In an article written by Taylor Crumpton for Bitch Media, she goes into depth about the mishandling of McKay's character. McKay is a college freshman at a local state college, and much of his arc is shaped by the experience of assimilating into university culture as a Division I football athlete. In many ways, his backstory isn't nearly as scandalous or rule-breaking as Bennett, and yet his suffering is hugely present until it gives way to trauma porn. Restrained on the ground, McKay is sexually assaulted by a fellow white fraternity brother while someone records the assault. After the act of violence is committed, McKay retreats to the bathroom. His body shudders, he trembles, and he shakes as he sobs, the moment of culmination of years of violence inflicted upon him by white men. The show's all-white writer's room used racial and gendered violence to develop McKay into a modern depiction of the docile negro a sweet and humble one-dimensional black man whose purpose is to maintain white men's equilibrium through their non-violent demeanor while the majority of the characters on euphoria face some form of violence it's discomforting to watch a black character continuously suffer in a majority white space in the midst of a black renaissance in pop culture where black creatives are creating, directing, and producing shows like Insecure and The Black Lady Sketch Show, the lack of black voices in Euphoria's writers room is a misstep. Euphoria misses the mark by using sexual assault and racial microaggressions as the very foundation for a black male teenage character. The only other Black man given screen time in the series is Ali, Rue's sponsor played by Coleman Domingo. He's a character who is somewhat paternal to Rue despite her inclination to push back against him. While it's heartwarming to see the lengths he goes to look out for her, we don't get to learn much else about him outside of his relationship to Rue. But then again, that's how most of the Black characters are positioned, in the shadow of someone else's story. Despite casting a biracial, light-skinned black girl as the main character, her identity is never acknowledged by herself, her family, or other characters. Now I'm not saying he needs to play into any tragic mulatto tropes, but Sam has repeatedly stated that Rue shares a lot of similarities with his personal life story, leading me to assume his racial blind spot here is both influenced by his own proclivity to whiteness and anti-blackness. Coupled with the fact that he quite literally sees himself in rue. Rue has to navigate racial identity in a way that he cannot relate to, so he pretends it doesn't exist. Instead of seeking out other perspectives to delve into the full depth of her character and family structure, Sam portrays the Bennets as living in a somewhat post-racial world. I do believe Zendaya's racial ambiguity aids in him feeling comfortable to opt out of those conversations as well. The misogynoir and colorism in this show is astounding, with only four four black women featured in the show and three of them being light-skinned. Other than Zendaya, they all have minor roles with little screen time and dialogue. Leslie Bennett played by Nika King probably has more screen time than both Gia and Bobby combined though that's not saying much because she doesn't have much at all either. The only time we get to see her is in the big blowout episodes of season 1 and 2. And I understand why Leslie's role is minor as the show attempts to focus mostly on the teenagers rather than the parents, with the exception of Cal. However, I believe Gia, played by Stormy Reed, should have had a much, much larger role, with the way that her sister has definitely put her through the ringer. The show is focused on the chaos of high school and the effects of addiction. It seems strange that Rue's only sister is never given any screen time this season to process that trauma. We get to see plenty of the Lexi-Cassie sister dynamics, so why can't we get that same thing in the Bennett household? I'm just asking. Then we have Bobby, played by Veronica Taylor, who we don't learn much about at all. She's the only dark-skinned girl they've added to Euphoria's recurring cast, and when she first appeared, so many of us were excited. There were plenty of critiques about the anti-blackness and colorism Euphoria perpetuated in season 1, so some of us thought that maybe HBO heard us out and was starting to act a bit more accordingly. Mind you, in episode 1, they also introduced Nietzsche, leading us to believe we would see him again. Which we didn't. But for a moment, it looked like they were trying to start giving us a variety of black characters, but of course not. (laughs) They introduce us to Bobby and then basically forget about her until the final episode where she works for Lexi and follows her lead. Though I was so happy to see Veronica Taylor get this role. I'm a huge fan of her voice. I think she has a beautiful, super unique tone. I was very upset because the addition of Bobby felt almost disrespectful especially when we get to the end of the season and we see that her only purpose is to essentially be lexi's assistant dark-skinned people are pretty much non-existent in euphoria's universe except when it comes to black men hollywood often casts dark-skinned men as their sole representation for black men because of white supremacist patriarchal ideals that suggest dark skin is more closely associated to masculinity there are a lot of layers to this conversation because it's about more than just the fact that there are very few dark-skinned actors in the show. It's also about how their storylines are presented and the implications that are being made. Hollywood has long held on to the paper bag test, encouraging prejudice against dark-skinned women and pigeonholing them when it comes to the roles that they're offered. I want to take a second to pause and suggest that y'all go over to Miss Vixen Mag's YouTube channel where Queen really analyzes the colorism issue on the show in depth her latest video titled Euphoria's Colorism Problem. She's much more qualified to break down this particular issue as I'm often deepening my
2: understanding of colorism through her work, so please tap into her video for an in-depth analysis. If they do have a dark-skinned woman in a TV show, the dark-skinned woman is the villain, she's the butt of the jokes, she's the comic relief, she's subservient to some other light-skinned person or white person she's not central to the story not everyone is rooting for her life not everyone is rooting for her love life or her or her career like she is usually not the center of the story she's angry witty she supports whoever is the main person of the story that's usually how when i see people talking about colorism on tv shows like a lot when it's like those kind of very specific Kinds, I think while Euphoria may have slipped through the cracks for some people, not everyone, because I have seen some people have these conversations on my side of the internet, is Euphoria has blatantly decided, has made the executive decision that dark-skinned black girls don't exist
0: I get that it's a predominantly white town and in real life white kids love to just hang out with other white kids but nine times out of ten that's because those white kids are racist they actively make black and brown students uncomfortable they violate them in various ways both through micro and macro aggressions they have parents who proudly wear white hoods or say they would have voted for Obama for a third term white showrunners don't want to offer authentically show the realities of predominantly white friend groups because they know it taints the innocence and morality of the characters that they're building. Duffer Brothers, I'm also talking to y'all, so please take some notes, okay? Sam Levinson will always find himself on the hook when we're dragging absolute garbage representations of race. He lets characters like Vape Girl get off her little minstrelsy act.
1: Remember when I got pregnant? Yes, and it would be nothing like that. Well speaking of baby daddies, I seen the photo that Ethan posted it to you. It's cute as fuck. Your your so oh,
0: yeah. While he simultaneously pretends his black characters aren't black, though he does break his own rule by going out of his way to code Maddie as the spicy Latina, which we're about to get into. Showrunners including characters of color just to pretend they have the same experiences as their white peers is both insulting and damaging. I know euphoria is baked in surrealism but ignoring race altogether for the sake of preserving the perceptions of your white characters is not the kind of fantasy I'm interested in living in. TVTropes.org gives a lengthy definition of the spicy Latina trope as seen in the media. I'm gonna read it pretty much verbatim with a few modifications. Let me know if this description reminds you of anyone in particular. Latin women in media, particularly American media, are usually portrayed as sultry temptresses with fierce tempers. The old westerns and pulp fiction usually depicted them as raven-haired, olive-skinned, and red-clad, with an accent that can melt butter. Modern portrayals, however, are usually more urban. This character is very hot-blooded and confrontational and oftentimes has a rough background where they've had to learn to defend themselves. They usually display a sundarish quality of having a soft side that occasionally peeks out from their tough exterior. Expect the spicy Latina to be a good fighter who can take care of herself, which ironically can lead to her becoming the designated early casualty. The spicy Latina is often portrayed as a femme fatale for the hero. Even if the spicy Latina is a bit tomboyish, she will still be depicted as irresistible. If not tomboyish, she's usually wearing a lot of sexy, tight clothing and is very flirty. A spicy latina will usually fall within desired beauty standards and is highly sought after as well as being an accomplished fighter for a male hero Having her as a love interest is therefore an indication of unusual prestige, self-actualization, and both psychological and physical strength since he will need to be able to restrain her fiery nature and martial ability at times without destroying the relationship. This trope is a close cousin to the sassy black woman trope and the two can overlap if the character is mixed or Afro-Latina. Which Maddie is not, by the way. Now I'm no fucking rocket scientist, but that is our girl Maddie to a T. I'm halfway convinced Sam Levinson found this article during his writing process and specifically modeled her character directly after it, cause he didn't miss a beat. Maddie Perez is a main character on Euphoria played by Alexa Demi. Euphoria's wiki page describes Maddie as the confident, combative, on and off girlfriend to Nate finds herself bearing the weight of Nate's emotions. Though that seems like a more apt description of her character in Season 1, it can't really apply to Season 2 and relies on her proximity to Nate. She experiences no character development as an individual this season, only furthering the notion that she's an accessory to others in the show. Her story felt sidelined and very much overshadowed by the trauma Nate and Cassie were causing her. Alexa Demi is someone who fits the classic American ideal of what a sexy, fiery Latina looks like. White, thin, high cheekbones, plump lips, long, straight, or wavy hair. If I had to assume Sam was looking for someone who looked exactly like her when he envisioned Maddie's character. I can guess he was not looking for a dark skinned black or brown Latina, he was not looking for someone who has body like Kat Hernandez, the other Latinx character on the show. He has a clear idea of the desirable Latina, and because she fits that, she's the only character that feels ethnically coded in his otherwise colorblind world. In season one, he takes this notion of her hypersexuality and irresistibility too far by suggesting that she, a minor, has sex with grown men, but in an empowering way.
1: Because the truth truth is that when she was 14 on vacation in Panama City Beach, she met a guy. was like 40. hey you from around here?
0: which in retrospect seems kind of rapey and weird but honestly she was the one in control. this is beyond gross especially considering that young latinas are commonly sexualized and preyed on by grown men a behavior that is commonplace today because of the spicy latina stereotype Whether a 17-year-old girl believes she's in control of that situation does not matter. That 20 or 30 or 40 or 50-year-old man is the predator taking advantage. In regards to other aspects of this trope, Sam Levinson attempts to give Maddie a rough background. Her parents are working class to suggest she's not as well off as her peers because white people love to conflate race, ethnicity, and class. Her mother was an esthetician
1: which is a fancy way of saying she gave pedicures to rich people. And her dad was a drunk, who was always pretending to hold jobs longer than he did. She quickly realized that there are two kinds of people in the world. The people who sit in the chairs with their feet in the footbath, and the people who kneel in front of the bath.
0: Though Maddie experiences most of the on-screen abuse in the show, we rarely see her affected by it. In fact, she's portrayed as violent and unbothered instead. This season, we see multiple clips of her beating bitches up as young as elementary school. Interestingly, we never see Maddie get physically aggressive in the first season. This fact is revealed when we learn of Cassie's betrayal. Those scenes feel positioned to contrast Cassie's innocence and helplessness to show us her fear. We rarely get moments of Maddie breaking down, being vulnerable, or venting about her trauma. This is the norm with this dehumanizing ass trope as she's supposed to be able to shoulder all the pain and fight through it with an attitude. Maddie's tough exterior really only lets up in two scenes this entire season. First, when Maddie finds out about Cassie's betrayal, she yells, encroaches on Cassie's personal space, threatens to beat her ass, and then chases her to the bathroom, where she bangs on the door. It only takes a few beats and suddenly she cracks and is borderline weeping as Cassie stays silent. In that moment, I understood just how robbed we were of seeing the depth of Maddie's character. Here is a girl who has been continuously, physically, and mentally abused by a man in her life, and her best friend has betrayed her in the worst way possible. It's less about the sex Cassie has with Nate. She's brokenhearted that someone she loves way more than she would ever love that boy has been canoodling with him behind her back. We should have seen more of her reaction and the fallout, but instead we get 30 scenes of Cassie crying and losing her mind because though we may not like her and we may see her as a train wreck, Sam ultimately wants us to pity her. The next and last time we see Maddie break down is after her run in with Nate, where he demands she gives him the video of Jules and his dad. After pretending she doesn't know where it is, he unloads a gun and puts it to his head, lays on top of her and then proceeds to play Russian roulette. She begins to cry, tells him where the DVD is, and eventually he backs off, claiming it was all a joke. A truly sick moment which is never addressed again for the rest of the season. Now Maddie is not a perfect character, and TV characters are not meant to be perfect. She's flawed, and she does a lot of fucked up things in the first season, notably lying about being sexually assaulted. Though, I do have to view those moments with a grain of salt because her actions seem to convey that this is how Sam Levinson sees Latin girls. Therefore every time she does something mean, selfish, or evil, I'm questioning why Sam is making those decisions for her character. It's like once you've tapped into a trope, you can't pull it back. Everything forward will still feel coded as ethnically stereotypical. But at the very least, he can certainly make the effort to include Latin women in his writing room from this point forward. Now, let's talk about the nudity. Since season one, many viewers of the show have expressed concern or uncomfortability with the amount of on-screen nudity, particularly with the girls on the show. These arguments stem from different perspectives, but my personal concern is that the nudity is gratuitous and excessive, only certain characters are shown in the nude, and many women on the show have stated that they've asked Sam Levinson to remove certain nude scenes. With the show focusing on high school girls, it's really frightening that Sam Levinson believes we constantly need to see certain characters with their titties out to convey that they're sexual beings. Going back to that early comment that Rue makes about Maddie, her sleeping with older men but being in charge, I cannot unhear that. Every time we see these high schoolers get naked on screen, I think back to those words. The girls all have sexual encounters that feel scary or predatory and make us want to gag. But the camera work and the choreography of some of the nudity can sometimes make me feel even grosser. In an interview with The Independent, Sydney Sweeney, who is by far the most naked character in season 2, commented that there were parts in the script where she was supposed to be nude and she asked Sam to cut those parts. There were moments where Cassie was supposed to be shirtless, and I would tell Sam, I don't really think that's necessary here. He was like, okay, we don't need it. And I never felt like Sam pushed it on me or was trying to get a nude scene into an HBO show. When I didn't want to do it, he didn't make me. Though she was clearly speaking in defense of him, fans used this info to back up their claim that the nudity is excessive and unnecessary. She saw the response and doubled down in an interview with the Washington Post. I appreciate people being worried, but I'm totally fine on Euphoria. She's not the only person to have had that experience, however, as Mika Kelly revealed to Vanity Fair. She plays the mother of the child Maddie babysits this season and was initially supposed to get naked her first day on set. In an interview with Vanity Fair, actress Minka Kelly admitted that she was asked to go nude during her first day of shooting on Euphoria. She said she ended up telling the show's writer and director, Sam Levinson, that they needed to make a change to the script. The scene takes place in the second season of the HBO hit in which Kelly's character, Samantha, asks a teen babysitter, Maddie, to help her unzip her dress. Levinson thought it would be more interesting if my dress fell to the ground, Kelly said. That was my first day as a guest on this new show and I just didn't feel comfortable standing there naked happily Levinson was open to making adjustments to suit kelly's comfort level i'd love to do this scene but i think we can keep my dress on he was like okay he didn't even hesitate and he shot a beautiful scene and got exactly what he wanted i know both of these women are defending his direction and are giving him the benefit of the doubt however if Your female actresses need to come to set and tell you that they don't feel comfortable getting naked because they don't feel it serves the storyline, that's a problem that should have been handled probably in the writing process. I know there was a bit more male nudity this season, but not really with any of the main characters. The amount of times we saw Cassie nude cannot compare to the few penises caught on screen in the first three episodes. It's also very, very interesting to me that certain characters are never shown nude, like Rue, Lexi, and Kat. I know there are rumors that Zendaya has a no-nudity clause in her contract, but based on how Sam approaches nudity with other characters, I'm more inclined to believe that his decision to never show Rue naked is intentional. Actors' boundaries, especially when it comes to sensitive topics like nudity, should always be respected. But why go so hard with the nudity for other characters if you know certain characters will not be getting the same treatment? It feels almost exploitative of the actors who don't have those clauses in their contract. As the main character and the one he relates to most, I believe Rue wouldn't be shown nude with or without that clause. She may be doing drugs and other chaotic things, but you can tell there's still a sense of innocence that Levinson wants to maintain with her character. He wants to humanize her, he wants us to take her character seriously, he wants us to feel the most empathy for her, despite her being a generally unlikable character. All this plays into how she's portrayed on screen. There is one comment this season that suggests Rue may be asexual, and it's never explored further. So I guess we're left to assume she's not a super sexual being, and therefore she never takes her clothes off? Not even a life-or-death situation? When Lori's henchmen make everyone strip down in episode one to prove they're not wearing a wire, we just get a long scene of Rue refusing to do so. And instead of being killed or harmed, she's forced into a running shower so she doesn't have to get naked. Why include those moments as if just to tell the audience that getting naked isn't something that Rue does? We get a scene in episode five where she actually gets naked and then gets in Lori's tub, However, none of this is shown on screen. Even in her sex scenes, the clothes stay on. Lexi has also become a main character this season and she also gets the no nudity treatment. Her character is supposed to be the quiet, shy, innocent girl. We never see her engage in sexual acts like her sister and friends, adding to the purity of her character. Sam Levinson's decision to never show cat nude is also strange given that she's literally a cam girl and frequently in lingerie. It's as if he's subtly saying that her body shouldn't be seen, which is fatphobic. He attempted in the first season to portray this overly confident plus size girl who loves her body and yet her body isn't shown in its fullness, so I have a lot of questions as to why that is. The show, whether intentional or not, implicitly suggests that there are certain bodies that should be seen nude and others that should remain covered, depending on the traits and personality of that character. Maddie and Sydney are seen as the desirable sexual characters, so therefore their bodies are up for grabs and viewing, whereas the innocent, confused girls like Lexi and Rue are to be shielded. And his blind spot with Kat's storyline leads me to make more assumptions. All of these girls who aren't nude on screen could very well have a no nudity clause in their contract. It's been rumored for Zendaya, but I'd go out on a limb and say Maude Apatow also has one if that's the case she's old hollywood she has connections and i'm sure her parents names allow her to get her way i'd be more surprised to find out if barbie fiera has one as well given the particular nature of her storyline nudity clauses or not sam levinson definitely needs other writers contributing when it comes to portraying something as sensitive as teenagers being naked on screen because at this point it's beyond excessive and gratuitous So I just have some questions because Sam Levinson left way too many things unanswered in that season finale. So let's start here. Rue still owes that lady 10K. So I know y'all are not about to wrap that shit up with a simple wiretap. I really don't care what Faye said in that finale. I don't care if that was supposed to be the like... Oh, now the cops are going to go get them. and Now she doesn't have to worry about Lori. You are out of your mind if you think that that was an acceptable way to tie up that plot line. Okay? Lori should still be on that ass. And then it gets more confusing with Rue ending the season with the narration that she stayed clean for the rest of the year. And it was all happiness and sunshine. If she's speaking from the future... Y'all are not telling me that the money she owed Lori never comes up again. There's literally no way. So why introduce those high ass stakes for no payoff? Also, what are we to assume happens with Fezco? Rue is acting like the rest of the year was a breeze. So I'm like, oh, so y'all just don't care about what happened to Ashtray and him? That's crazy. If they're gonna pick that up in season three, that's fine, but don't end the season on a storybook ending after we literally just watched a child be shot up by the fucking feds. You're insane. And let's talk about it. What the fuck was Ashtray doing? What the hell was that? Not only does it not make sense for his character, but that entire scene was purely made for shock factor. State-sanctioned violence is incredibly traumatic and sad, and neither emotion was conveyed through that scene. And I know y'all are not about to try to redeem Nate literally one episode after he hopped on top of Maddie with that gun and scared her to death. He has caused her, Jules, and even Cassie so, 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 so much trauma. And Sam Levinson is still concerned with trying to create a redeemable character arc for him. I don't see it. The time has passed. That man is literally the devil himself. We don't need to make Cal and Nate feel more empathetic. We're not here to see none of that. And again, that's the white perspective peeking through because how are you about to look at somebody who has done that much fucking damage and think, well, we gotta... Now listen, I am a writer, I understand you gotta write complex characters, but... You set both of these men up to be irredeemable. And now we're trying to like open the gates to like get some empathy. That's that white shit. But anyway, the worst offense, giving Elliot four minutes of screen time for his little plain white tees cosplay. That moment alone, I'm sorry, but that, that right there, that solidified to me that my time with Euphoria was up. Like that was enough. I personally don't see myself continuing to watch the show after season two's finale. Not only did it feel stale, cheap, and disjointed. I had to accept that my gripes with the show will only continue to grow as long as it remains solely under Sam Levinson's white-ass thumb. So until HBO decides to invest in a diverse writer's room and cast, and I know they got the money because they had Kodak go back and make a whole new film that they fucking discontinued all those years ago, and I know that that film was fucking expensive, okay? So I know y'all have the money. Y'all are also HBO. So until that happens... I truly don't need to see shit else from euphoria. My name is Joe, and I just want to thank y'all for tapping into this analysis. If you enjoyed this video, go ahead and like, comment, or subscribe. You can find other videos on my channel related to entertainment, pop culture, and current events. Come back soon.
1: Well, I think that a lot of the characters like reflect um, reality in a way that I think um, TV and movies that Handle teenagers kind of use stereotypical tropes in it and this kind of like obliterates it you know everyone's friends no one's at the jock table or whatever it is it's like no separation it's just like the reality and also a lot of mental health issues that are being like addressed every episode um ciao. anyway so